1: Well, thank you so much for joining us for the show today. Ah, there's so much to talk about. I don't want to spend a lot of time <clears throat> on last night's presidential debate, although I am going to say it was a lot more civil, but it still comes down to, you know, whose, whose mind was actually changed. I am I'm not convinced at all that there were very many people sitting on the fence. Um, my, my quick and dirty analysis of it is uh, President Trump was much more uh, restrained, in control, and, uh, and I, thought, I thought he did actually a pretty good job of staying on topic. Here's the problem that I have, though. You know, Joe Biden was Joe Biden. The consummate, come on, man. I mean, that seems to be his favorite, uh, his favorite uh, retort. But none of them got to really talk about issues that, that matter. For instance, the debt, the national debt, never really came up. I think Biden may have said something about debt at one point. At one point, he was worried. Well, you're taking money from the taxpayers. But uh, no, it was it was all a lot of, a lot of personal stuff, climate change, racism. Oh wow, you know, stuff that uh, really seems to fit the the mainstream media narrative of this is the most important factor in in this year's election, as opposed to what are some of the things that that really matter. So, overall, I would say I thought Trump. I thought he handled himself well. There were a couple of times he actually uh, pushed Biden into reset mode, where all he could do was kind of stammer. There was one long awkward silence where it was like, "Wow, somebody better you know whisper <laughs> to Joe and get, get back online." The moderator I thought did a pretty, uh, pretty fair job too of jumping in to rescue Joe Biden wherever necessary. But you know, for for all the for all the hype, for all the coverage, what was really accomplished? Yeah. Nothing pretty much people's, you know, biases, my own in, my own included, you know, were just confirmed, and we move forward. Interestingly enough, I saw this, this popped up on my news feed this morning. One of the local uh, news, uh, heritage news sources here in my home state of Utah was saying, well, there's been a record amount of gun sales this year in Utah. We investigate. I'm like, really? We're going to investigate? Why are people buying guns at record rates? Gee, I don't know. You know, it couldn't have anything to do with the fact that maybe they're watching their world come unraveled around them. Not just politically, but economically and, and socially and culturally. Gee, I wonder why someone would think they would want to have a gun. That is just, uh, I just can't imagine. Yeah, it was, it was a pretty big nothing burger. Now, the opposite of a nothing burger... Well, I happen to have one of those sitting right here in front of me. And it's the latest article from Jim Quinn, published on the Burning Platform, Fourth Turning Election Year Crisis. I'm going to spend some time sharing portions of this with you. It's a pretty lengthy essay, but um, if you have listened to my program for any length of time, you'll know that I like Jim Quinn just because I think he has this uncanny knack for analyzing current events, and I think he does it uh, you know, fairly dispassionately, But I think he gets it right. And his take on this fourth-turning election year crisis is well worth considering. In fact, he points out that the choices each of us make over the next few weeks, not just election-related, but the personal choices that we make, will definitely matter. And he starts with with a quote from the book, The Fourth Turning, by Strauss and Howe. The next fourth turning is due to begin shortly after the new millennium midway through the uh uh-oh decade. Around Around the year 2005, a sudden spark will catalyze a crisis mood. Remnants of the old social order will disintegrate. Political and economic trust will implode. Real hardship will beset the land with severe distress that could involve questions of class, race, nation, and empire. The very survival of the nation will feel at stake. Sometime before the year 2025, America will pass through a great gate in history, commensurate with the American Revolution, Civil War, and the twin emergencies of the Great Depression and World War II. Now again, this is from a book that was published in 1997. It's not prophecy, but looking at the cyclical nature of, of history, there are some really remarkable conclusions that Strauss and Howe were able to identify, some some patterns that they identified, and... Look, from my vantage point, I I see it playing out. Jim Quinn says, I read the fourth turning in 2006 after seeing it described in John Malden and Doug Casey's newsletters as an uncannily accurate assessment of American history based upon generational configurations which recur on 80-year cycles, basically one long human life. He says, Strauss and Howe wrote the book in 1997 and used their generational theory to predict the crisis that would begin in the mid-2000s and come to an indeterminate climax in the mid-2020s. Now, Jim Quinn says, as a student of history, that theory spoke to him. After all, he says, I've been writing articles since 2009 using the fourth turning as a guide to interpreting what has been happening and what might happen as this crisis period accelerates toward its violent culmination. Rather. This crisis period he says the quote above that, uh, that, I, that I shared with you at the beginning here perfectly captures what has happened since the crisis began in September of 2008 with the Fed-Wall Street created financial collapse. And Jim Quinn says the social order is disintegrating, but they're willing to destroy the country rather than relinquish their wealth, power, and control. Now he says Strauss and Howe in this book identified the core elements of this crisis as debt, civic decay, and global disorder. No one can argue that the severe distress engulfing the nation and the world traces its origins to these core elements, with the catalyst for this crisis being the 2008 central banker-manufactured financial collapse. Nothing has been normal since 2008, and 2008's epic implosion was driven by the disastrous financial political and military decisions implemented by the puppets of the deep state from 2000 onward with the federal reserve obligingly creating bubble after bubble as the solution in quotation marks to the previous bubble. And so Quinn says, and here we are again in the midst of the greatest bubble in the history of mankind. But this is a bubble of willful ignorance. The obliviousness of most Americans to the danger awaiting them is akin to the day before Fort Sumter was bombed, the day before Pearl Harbor was attacked, or the dinosaurs unaware of a giant meteor rushing toward the planet and about to transform their future in a challenging way. He says, Real hardship has beset the land. For those not in the .1% or deep state lackeys being rewarded for propagating mistruths, outright lies, fear, and propaganda on behalf of their oligarch benefactors. These apparatchiks mainly consist of corrupt politicians, central bank lackeys, mainstream media hacks, neocon warmongers, surveillance, states, surveillance state traders, and big pharma-captured health experts. He says the severe distress does involve class, race, nation, and empire, but most of the distress has been artificially created by, put, by those pulling the strings. In other words, Edward Bernays' invisible government manipulating the masses. And Jim Quinn says, as the looming election advances like a deadly avalanche crashing down a mountainside toward an unsuspecting village below, a battle wages between the evil ingrained establishment and a few dedicated patriots of truth. If you don't feel the very survival of the nation hangs in the balance, then he says you are either delusional, willfully ignorant, or unwilling to recognize your own cognitive dissonance. The next five to ten years will alter the course of history in a profound way. And he says whether the outcome is positive for the average American citizens is very much in doubt. Now he has a quote here from Aldous Huxley. Most human beings have an almost infinite capacity for taking things for granted. That men do not learn much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons of history. And Jim Quinn adds to this, I wish it were not so, but most human beings seem incapable of critical thought regarding how history follows a cyclical path due to human nature retaining its flaws, weaknesses, vulnerabilities, and fortes throughout history. We believe we have advanced because of our inventions, discoveries, and technology. But he says the desire for wealth, power, and control over others still consumes a sociopathic portion of mankind who tend to rise to the top through any means necessary. Now, we're going to break away here for a moment because I've got to take a break, but when we come back, I'm going to share with you some of his observations. And again, this is just using the fourth turning book as as a bit of a, a roadmap, if you will, of where we are in this particular cycle of history. I don't intend to uh, scare you. This is not to uh, promote fear or anger, but more to promote awareness and hopefully spur you to the kind of action that better solidifies your position individually within your realm of influence. We'll talk about that the other side of these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is the
1: Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I do you want to mention that our program is brought to you each day at this time by great sponsors like Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse, also by Jeff Staples Real Estate, and the Staples Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage? It's also brought to you by great listeners like you, who will kindly donate. A few shekels here and there to uh, keep me on the air. I greatly appreciate it, and I thank you for uh, being a part of this growing audience of wrong thinkers. I'm sharing an article from Jim Quinn, The Fourth Turning Election Year Crisis. Now, look, my longtime listeners know I'm pretty into this whole fourth turning cycles of history way of looking at things. I, I'm not saying that, you know, this is scripture, and therefore, you know, you must absolutely believe it as if it came from God himself. But it makes sense to me, That there are certain cycles. And and I like the fact that in the fourth turning, Strauss and Howe likened the way that these cycles unfold to the the turning of the seasons. And we are most definitely in winter. Deep in winter. And it's, it's about to reach its climax sometime in the next few years. Now, how it comes out, I don't know. You know, the, the turning that took place around the uh, the founding of America, the revolution, the founding period, and ultimately the Constitution and the launch and the birth of a new nation, I think had a very positive outcome. Not perfect, mind you, but, but very positive. The next turning that came during the Civil War and Reconstruction period, again, very drastic changes. Everything was different on the other side of that turning but not as good as the first one. Then came World War II and the Great Depression, and again, the, the whole world changed. The, the way the landscape looked following the, the Bretton Woods Agreement and following the way things shook out, the birth of the United Nations and so forth after the end of the war, it was much different. And we are right on track for this. is It's time for another massive shift which comes with each turning. And I think the important takeaway here is that the outcome of that turning really hinges on the character of the people who are living through it. Now, going back to Jim Quinn's article, he says, as Aldous Huxley lamented in the 1950s, technological progress has actually propelled mankind backwards in terms of its humanity and relationship with nature and other human beings. The very technology we glorify as an example of our advancement is now being used by totalitarians to imprison us. And he says it's happened slowly and methodically over decades as generation after generation have entered the government indoctrination centers, he's talking about public schools, to be taught ignorance and obedience to the state. This indoctrination has been reinforced by ceaseless propaganda injected into their brains by media conglomerates doing the bidding of the state. The dystopian use of disinformation, false narratives, blatant lies and propaganda by totalitarians constituting the deep state, as their never-ending coup attempt against duly elected, the duly, a duly elected president attests will be the catalyst for the next vicious phase of this fourth turning. For the last four years, the Russiagate coup has dogged Trump, as Obama, Clinton, Brennan, Clapper, Comey, Mueller, and a myriad of lesser co-conspirators have propagated the big lie to cover up their traitorous actions of trying to overthrow Trump. He says, an honest truth-seeking press with unbiased journalists would have uncovered this conspiracy and revealed the truthful facts to a concerned public. Instead, a completely captured corporate media has turned a blind eye to the truth as they've acted as accomplices of the coup culprits. Just as evil is the suppression of truth through censorship and keeping silent regarding the truth. He says Huxley understood how totalitarian propagandists operated decades before the current batch of Silicon Valley authoritarians initiated their national truth repression scheme. Here's another quote from Huxley. Great is truth, but still greater from a practical point of view is silence about truth. By simply not mentioning certain subjects, totalitarian propagandists have influenced opinion much more effectively than they could have by, most, by the most eloquent denunciations. Jim Quinn says a perfect example of this is his local ABC News affiliate doing an hour-long broadcast with no, with absolutely no mention of Hunter Biden or Joe Biden's pay-for-play scandal. His point being the truth dies in silence. The left-wing media, dominated by six megacorporations and social media billionaire titans Bezos, Zuckerberg, and Dorsey, have colluded with other left-wing billionaires like Soros and Bloomberg, and the traitorous deep staters like Comey, Brennan, Clapper, and Clinton to bring down a sitting president and now to memory hole proof of Joe Biden's corruption and his son's illegal dealings with foreign enemies. Quinn says these anti-rational propagandists are enemies of freedom as they systematically pervert reality and knowingly manipulate the minds of the masses towards how they require them to think, feel, and act. He says, after years of socialist indoctrination to government schools and universities, the masses have been taught to feel rather than think. Victimhood is celebrated, while personal responsibility is scorned. The truth has been revealed to those capable of critical thinking since the onset of this engineered pandemic fear exercise in March of this year. He says, we've sagged from the soft tyranny of Huxley's brave new world towards the harsh tyranny of Orwell's 1984. As the leftist oligarchs have unleashed their Antifa and BLM terrorists in cities across America in mostly peaceful protests as proclaimed by the Big Brother media, ignorance is strength rings true across our dystopian landscape. He says, I'm amazed by the extreme level of ignorance exhibited by a vast swath of our population as they glory in believing comforting mistruths which confirm their preordained belief structure. They don't know because they don't want to know. They are intoxicated by the endless stream of idiocy emanating from their eye gadgets as they willfully choose ignorance over awareness, servitude over freedom, and captivity over liberty. Jim Quinn says, as Huxley predicted, the controlling oligarchy has used technology to convince people to love their servitude while unthinkingly believing what they're told by their government and media mouthpieces doing the bidding of the government and oligarchs who control the government. The role of the ruling class is to keep people from thinking, and most willingly oblige because thinking is hard, and the uncomfortable truths are too much to bear for the satiated masses. But he says there is a minority who want the truth and are willing and able to deal with the consequences. They realize facts don't cease to exist because we ignore them. Facts don't care about your beliefs or feelings. Facts lead you to the truth. And the immense cover-up of facts over the last 10 months as we approach this historically important election boggles the mind of every critical-thinking person on the planet. He says this clearly coordinated effort to mislead the public regarding our dire financial plight, the truth about this overblown flu, the true facts about the Russiagate coup attempt against Trump, and now the massive Joe Biden-Hunter Biden corruption scandal cover-up has taken on a new level of malevolence and deceitfulness. The duplicitous nature of the measures taken on by the social media tyrants to control the narrative and dictate what people must believe will climax in a violent response by those unwilling to accept their plot to overthrow the government and the shredding of the U.S. Constitution. He says we're now living in a world where so-called experts declare the science is settled regarding the spread of COVID. The efficacy of masks, the need for lockdowns to slow the spread, the requirement for a vaccine to cure COVID, the danger of HCQ, the fallacy of herd immunity, and the fact that we will never return to normal again. If anyone dares to question the approved COVID narrative, they will be attacked by MSM talking heads, deplatformed by Twitter and Facebook, called a murderer by the thousands of Karens patrolling social media, and possibly lose their jobs. When straight talking brilliant doctors like Dr. Scott Atlas use facts to blow up the approved narrative, he's attacked by the MSN and social media hyenas. Facts don't matter when fear is the preferred method of hurting a nation of sheep. We'll be back in just a moment.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, welcome back to this revel in wrong think exercise. I, I'll tell you, Jim Quinn is, is pretty good at dishing out the wrong think, and I'm grateful. For his ability to analyze things as he does. Um, going back to his article, this was published on theburningplatform.com. Again, there will be a link to the complete article in the show notes today, which you can access at the Show.com. He says, even though 99 per- 99.7% of those who contract COVID will not die, with most not even knowing they had it, the pandemic promoters, Gates, Big Pharma, Trump haters, Democrats, left-wing media, continue to exaggerate the threat and scare a country into a depression. He says this coordinated charade has been instituted as a cash grab by the ruling oligarchy, a cover-up for the Fed rescuing a collapsing financial system and an effort to dispose of Trump after the failed impeachment coup. Even though prior to this engineered pandemic, CDC documentation unequivocally declared masks useless in stopping the spread of viruses and numerous other studies by respected institutions confirmed this conclusion, you know, science. Masks, which he refers to as muzzles, are now required to conform to state dictate under the penalty of arrest. Even though thousands of scientists and doctors have said lockdowns don't work, Politicians continue to destroy the lives of their citizens by tyrannically closing down their cities and states. For what true purpose? Even though hydroxychloroquine plus zinc has proven to drastically reduce the effects of COVID if taken early in the illness, costs only a few dollars per dose, has been used safely for decades in dealing with malaria, and has the support of thousands of doctors, it was declared unsafe by the health agencies controlled by Big Pharma and politically motivated healthcare hack bureaucrats who care more about defeating Trump than saving lives. Why support a drug that only costs a few bucks when Big Pharma can roll out treatments that cost a few thousand dollars and don't provide better outcomes than HCQ and zinc? Well, there are profits to be made, stock prices to support. That's the real science going on here. He says the hit job stories from the New York Times, Washington Post and other left wing media about how Sweden would suffer death on a grand scale by not requiring masks, not locking down their country and not closing schools were being written at a torrential pace in the spring and summer. And they continue today as they attempt to discredit Dr. Scott Atlas because he's taking a realistic balanced approach to the virus. Sweden's death rate was in the middle of the pack in Europe and they achieved herd immunity by the fall. Their cases are minuscule and the deaths virtually nil. Meanwhile, the European lockdown countries are now experiencing a surge of new cases and locking down again. Sweden was right, but the compliant captured press maintains silence about their success. Because silence about the truth maintains their big lie. If they can convince everyone to believe the truth... Or to believe the lie, rather, it becomes the truth. Here's a quote from George Orwell from 1984 The party told you to reject the evidence of your eyes and ears. It was their final, most essential command. And if all others accepted the lie which the party imposed, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. So Jim Quinn says we are less than two weeks out from the election and the outcome, no matter who wins will likely ignite a raging firestorm that will make the California wildfires look like a flickering matchstick. As we have supposedly made tremendous advancements in science and technology, reality proves we've merely achieved a more efficient means of going backwards. He says the intoxication from earlier successes of science and technology had devolved into a gruesome morning-after-hangover of deteriorated outcomes, now threatening to imprison masked Americans in an electronic gulag of forced vaccinations and digital currency. The social media billionaire moguls in conjunction with Wall Street-owned Federal Reserve and sociopathic political operatives will mandate compliance regarding medical, financial, and political decrees, or you will be demonetized and cut off from the ability to transact, essentially living in an electronic prison camp. Based on the fourth-turning generational theory, he says, there is no doubt Donald Trump is the prophet generation gray champion. The term gray champion does not mean they are a great, noble, humane person. Ben Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt were not nice guys. They did what they thought was necessary to achieve their means during our previous three fourth-turnings. Millions of Americans hated Lincoln and Roosevelt, just as tens of millions hate Trump. The gray champion's appearance marks the arrival of a moment of darkness, adversity, and peril as the violent turmoil climax of the fourth turning approaches. Now Trump and Pence are from the prophet or boomer generation, while Biden is from the silent generation, and Harris is from generation X. At this stage of the fourth turning, a transfer of power to a silent generation leader would not make sense. Trump is the lightning rod for a clash that must take place to sweep away the existing corrupted social order and replace it with something new. Now, I like this take. Jim Quinn says every four years, we hear the same pablum about this being the most important election of our lifetime. No matter who wins this election, the deep state, military-industrial complex, Wall Street-controlled Federal Reserve, Big business, big pharma, big media, Silicon Valley titans, and billionaires like Soros, Bloomberg, and Gates will still be running the show. One man has extraordinarily little chance of confronting these wealthy, power-hungry sociopaths and winning. Now he says it remains to be seen whether the gray champion can ignite a civil uprising against the powerful forces of totalitarianism engulfing the country and the world. They will not be stopped through the ballot box. They had successfully convinced a willfully ignorant populace to love their servitude and acquiesce to allowing them unfettered control over their lives. But the tyrannical lockdowns, martial law-like mandates from bureaucrats, compulsory masking as a requirement to be accepted in society, and the dehumanizing of our daily lives has created a resistance, peaceful thus far, who are enraged by what's happening. These are the critical thinkers, non-maskers, no-lockdowners, no-vacciners, unwilling to kneel before the altar of Fauci, Gates, the World Health Organization, CDC, MSM, and tyrannical sociopath politicians like Cuomo, Newsom, and Whitmer. Whitmer. rather. These dissidents and doubters are most certainly a minority, but he reminds us it was a minority who carried the load during the American Revolution. He says they are heavily armed, but it will require stealth, guile, and intelligence to defeat the entrenched establishment. The weakness of these sociopaths is their arrogance and hubris. When they make mistakes during the coming conflict, they must be made to pay heavily. Those with their eyes wide open know what's happening. But as Huxley asked over 60 years ago, do enough people think it's worth the fight to stop our drift toward totalitarian control? Here's the quote to back that up from Aldous Huxley. Do we really wish to act upon our knowledge? Does a majority of the population think it worthwhile to take a good deal of trouble in order to halt and, if possible, reverse the current drift toward totalitarian control of everything? Jim Quinn says last, the last week of MSM hyperbolic vitriol toward Trump, censorship of all dissenters about the COVID narrative by the social media tyrants, the purposeful increase in testing to all-time highs in order to generate more cases. Ignoring the plunge in COVID-related deaths, seeing neutral journalists question Trump like he's on trial at Nuremberg while lobbing underhanded softballs to Biden like he's a four-year-old. His dementia-riddled brain tells him he is four years old. And seeing the MSM tout polls showing a Biden landslide just as they did in 2016 leads Jim Quinn to believe Trump is going to win re-election in November. Now, he says it may take weeks and there will be rampant fraud in trying to swing the vote to Biden and it could end up in the Supreme Court. But he says, I believe Trump will win. The deplorables are seething with an inner rage, which will be released on November 3rd. While the election is being contested, shockingly, Antifa and BLM will again begin burning down cities. It was fascinating how it all stopped when polls showed the riot having a negative impact on Biden and his Democratic cohorts. The time frame between November 3rd and January 20th, when the president is supposed to be sworn in, guarantees to be tumultuous, dangerous, and fraught with with continual or potential peril. He says, I don't believe either side will accept the outcome of the election and treat the victor and will treat the victor as illegitimate. Once that mindset gains control, only violent conflict can result. The myriad of potential outcomes is too vast to comprehend. What we do know is fourth turnings always accelerate and intensify toward a bloody finale with clear winners and losers. He says the American empire is in rapid decline and may not survive the trials and tribulations of the coming decade. This fourth turning is not a prophecy, but it should be taken as a warning and call to action. Sitting this out and hoping for the best, will not help achieve a positive outcome. Tragedy or triumph, Jim Quinn says, the choices we make will matter. The climax of this fourth turning may be a few years off, but the battle for the soul of America begins on November 3rd. Pretty crazy stuff, huh? How amazing is it that you and I are living through this time? How amazing is it that each of us has a positive role to play? More about that when we continue.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This
1: is The Brian Hyde Show. Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Look, I know the first three segments of, uh, of this hour have been heavy. And, and I'm, I'm thinking back to my dear, sweet listener who uh, wrote to me a few weeks ago saying, <clears throat> I feel scared. I feel helpless when I hear about the stuff that's going on. And, and I apologize for, for sharing truths that are hard, but I... How did, how did Solzhenitsyn say it? I speak to you as a friend. I don't share these with you because, hey, I like to see people get scared and I like to see them, you know, feeling panicky. As your friend, I'm willing to share things with you that I know are are difficult. I know they're hard because it's hard for me to acknowledge these as well. But I believe it matters more to face those difficult truths than it does to just, you know, speak warm, comfortable platitudes that, that feel good in your ears. The stakes are too high to sugarcoat things. And so, please do not panic. Use this instead as an opportunity to to better fortify your personal position spiritually, emotionally, temporally, to become as self-reliant as you can. I, I would add to that whatever relationships you have around you, the people that you would trust with your life. It's time to really formalize those those kind of arrangements. Do you have friends in each direction of the compass that you could trust at a moment's notice to help you? And if so, it's time to talk to those friends. Have a serious talk. What would we do if things got really bad? There's a lot of peace of mind in, in being prepared in that way. And if things don't go bad, well, you've still got a wonderful friendship and people with whom you trust your life, right? All right, moving on. Got a great article here from Thomas L. Knapp. You hear a lot of talk about uh, the science. Well, you know, this politician follows the science, and that's the way it ought to go. Um, He has a couple of thoughts about COVID-19 and two things about the science. Thomas Knapp says, on October 4th, three scientists published the Great Barrington Declaration, a a statement named for the Massachusetts town in which they met. Infectious disease epidemiologist Sunetra Gupta of the University of Oxford Professor of Medicine Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford University and Professor of Medicine Martin Koldorf of Harvard Medical School call for a focused protection approach to overcoming COVID-19. Versus the lockdown shutdown efforts we've suffered through for the last seven months, they support letting the young and healthy get substantially back to normal life and start building herd immunity while attempting to shield the most vulnerable among us that being the elderly and those with particularly dangerous potential comorbidities well the declaration now boasts more than half a million co-signers ranging from eminent figures in the scientific medical and political communities to interested regular citizens and of course of course to the uh, inevitable trolls i.e. dr johnny fartpants now of course popularity isn't the same thing as scientific validity the declaration was instantly met with smug dismissal from the government and academic experts who recommended and continue to recommend the lockdown shutdown approach. And Thomas Knapp says, look, I'm not a scientist. I don't play a scientist on TV and I'm not going to try to fool you into thinking I'm an expert on the science surrounding COVID-19. Nonetheless, he says, I support the Great Barrington Declaration, not because of the specific approach it advocates, although he says I do agree with that approach, but because it demonstrates two important truths about science that many seem to have lost sight of recently. First, there is no such thing as the science. Different scientists are reaching different conclusions about how COVID-19 spreads, how it might be prevented from spreading, who's most at risk from it, etc. And he says all of those conclusions are necessarily tentative and provisional and can change as new information becomes available. That's how science works. More than a century after he first published it, physicists are still conducting experiments to test Einstein's general theory of relativity. COVID-19's been on the radar for less than a year. Claims of scientific consensus on a pandemic are worse than false. They're irrelevant. The truth is whatever it is. Much of that truth remains to be discovered, and the percentage of scientists agreeing doesn't tell us right from wrong. This well-known scientist says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's not respecting science, it's practicing religion. Especially if the scientist in question is really just a bureaucrat in a lab coat. Second, Thomas Knapp says, science can't determine what we value or how much. Life involves trade-offs. How many millions have the lockdown mandates plunged into poverty? How many depressed individuals have finally given in to suicidal urges heightened by fear and confinement? How many businesses have shut their doors? He says we could end the pandemic in short order if we all starved ourselves to death. Would it be worth the cost? Science can't tell us. Deciding what's important to us isn't its province. Now, he says, science holds and deserves an honored place in society, but turning it into a state religion damages both it and us. Wow. Spot on. And this, too, will be linked in the show notes for October 23rd at thebrianheidshow.com. Okay, one final note here, and this is kind of a hopeful one. Um, Jordan Peterson. Yes, Jordan B. Peterson has returned. Grayson Quay has a terrific article about him on intellectualtakeout.org. And here's the really amazing thing. I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson. If you haven't watched some of his speeches or uh, maybe read one of his books or seen some of his videos, he really has been a a great source of truth. But he's also been very uh, scarce, reclusive for the last year and a half. And that's with good reason. Peterson has been in hospitals in America, Russia, and Serbia, battling the symptoms of benzodiazepine withdrawal, which apparently is extremely dangerous and and can actually kill you. And he's, uh, he's released a new YouTube video. Now, for those who don't know about him, he was quietly living a successful academic career as a clinical psychologist and professor at University of Toronto, but he exploded into stardom and controversy back in 2016 because he refused to abide by Canada's bill, C-16, which mandated the use of preferred pronouns. Peterson became a hero to free speech advocates and an enemy to social justice warriors. His book, 12 Rules for Life, has sold 3 million copies. His lectures have sold out venues on three continents. All of that came to a halt last September, when news broke that Peterson had entered rehab for prescription drug dependency. But his months of silence appear to be ending, and here's where it gets interesting. In the video, Peterson says, I'm alive, I have plans for the future. Although he admits that his health is still severely imp- impaired. His plans include a lecture series on the book of Exodus and short-form videos unpacking the book of Proverbs. Now, for many people, this is an answer to a prayer, says Grayson Quay. Millions of people have been inspired, some would say saved, by Peterson's books, videos, and lectures. This is especially true of young men to whom mainstream culture offers plenty of criticism for their supposed toxicity, but little in the way of encouragement or direction. Now, Peterson occupies a near-messianic status in the eyes of many of his disciples, and and that's not to elevate him to, you know, Savior-like status, but it just suggests how badly his message was needed. With God's grace and mercy, Peterson says near the end of his new video, I'll be able to start generating original material again and pick up where I left off. Now, for the casual observer, that might just seem like a figure of speech. But for those who have followed Jordan Peterson closely and listened to dozens, if not hundreds of hours of his interviews and lectures, that's not how he talks. He doesn't shy away from religious themes. He often speaks glowingly of the wisdom contained in the Judeo-Christian scriptures and of Christ as a powerful archetype. But he's also to, he's also also very careful to couch his analyses, his religious analyses, in psychological language. Though he's not a member of any denomination, Peterson has expressed interest in Christianity, especially Eastern Orthodoxy. But when interviewers try to get a straight answer about well, what do you actually believe? His replies usually imply a sort of agnosticism. Now, there's more to this article, but here's the here's the bottom line. Grayson Quay says. Peterson's long illness may have changed the impression that he was running from something or that he couldn't put off the question of God's existence indefinitely. His brief reference to God's grace and mercy is far from conclusive, but to those who followed him, they say it's it's a little out of character. It might even constitute a sort of dog whistle intended to tip off Christian viewers before he makes a more explicit announcement of his conversion. Grayson Quay says at least two people have suggested to him, unprompted, that a Christian Jordan Peterson could be the next C.S. Lewis. Boy, that is a powerful comparison, by the way. Perhaps Peterson, in the midst of his hellish sufferings, fell to his knees in a hospital room halfway around the world, and like Lewis before him, became another reluctant convert. So Peterson may not be running anymore. Perhaps the hound of heaven has chased him down at last. And that's, that's interesting, right? Well, so maybe he's got his life together. Can I just suggest that if you're needing a little bit of peace in your life, that hound of heaven may be chasing you as well. Let it catch you.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.